Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. Uh, first of all, some apologies, we did promise a sort of end of season podcast. It's not the fact that we've been mourning and moping for six weeks, we have had COVID in the camp which kind of put paid to that, but happily everyone's all well and uh, I'm with you as normal. I'm Kev, uh, for anyone who's joining us for the first time, I've got with me the Lutonian journalist James Cunliffe. Summer in well, James? I've not had much of one at the moment, Kev. Uh, with, when you've got kids, summer doesn't start till mid-July. That is very true. Uh, I weren't expecting to have to get the violins out quite so early, but hey-ho. <laughs> I've also got the Trust Chairman, Tony Murray, with me. Uh, Tony, I'm sure things are much better at your end. Uh, how are you going? Yeah, my end is very well, thank you. Good few weeks. Uh, grandkids keep me busy and everything, but uh, can't wait for the season to start. Yeah, it makes a change for you not to be speaking out of it. So we are all good on that front. And we're also joined by uh, the voice of Luton Town. I follow commentator Simon Pitts. Simon, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you giving up your time. No worries, my pleasure, Kev. Good to be involved. And you're all good? Yeah, very well, thanks. Yeah, enjoyed a bit of a break uh, between seasons and looking for the new one to get ready and cracking on. Yeah, not much of a break, which we'll come on to shortly. We're also joined by an honorary member of the Trust, uh, Reg Harper, as well, for this um, episode. And I know that he's well, so I won't um, ask him. For that, uh, coming up in this episode then, we'll have quick reflections on the end of last season. We're not going to dwell too much on it. It was a horrible night. We don't need to go too further in, but I'll get the boys' reflections on it, their favourite moments, a few statistics that I know Simon's dying to give away, so we'll um, definitely get them out of him. Then we'll look ahead to uh, what's to come. We'll go through the transfers that have happened so far. We'll look at the fixtures. I'm pretty sure there's two in particular that everyone's got their eye on. And we'll quickly discuss the pre-season games. Much short on pre-season this year. Can't say I'm too disappointed by that, but um, I'll get the views of everyone else. But first, James, last season. That season didn't deserve to end in the way it did. No, uh, and even the game didn't deserve to end in the way it did that second leg Luton were much the better side and then um, yeah as the game wore on whoever got the first goal was going to win it it was so tight and it was just a sucker punch really wasn't it? it's what Jordan Rhodes has done for his entire career and is what they brought him on for but you can't help but feel if you had a fit at a bio one of those chances would have been taken and Luton would have been in the final it could have been a different story but um, yeah uh, before we were talking about how um, it was just a fantastic achievement to get there and anything else uh, would be great. There's been no sort of negative fallout from it, which is the main thing. Um, everyone's really positive still. And that's uh, a testament to the the team that's being built and the, around the club that's that's still being built and, and growing as well. So um, I think everyone's still on the same page. And um, yeah, a short, short turnaround to, for the next season and, and really looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, Tony, it was, it was a typical Yorkshire night, wasn't it? Absolutely pissed it down before the start of that game, like you would not believe. You can only see that in Yorkshire. But the game itself, we'll, we'll, we'll concentrate on the second leg primarily because that was the end and I'll get, I'll get all of your thoughts on the first leg and everything else shortly. But it was a perfect away performance up until putting the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, uh, we, we played very well. I, I think over the two games, we were by far the better side. Um we we went for it on the night. Huddersfield didn't look anything special. Um, we did everything but put the ball in the net. But when you've got a team that can bring on somebody like Jordan Rhodes, um, who's a goal scorer, and we're missing our main goal threat, um, 
I think it was like all set up for Rhodes to score the winner. And he knew it was only going to be one goal in it. You know, but after what has been a brilliant season, I said um, some time ago that the, the playoffs were a bonus for me. Um, but I was disappointed because we deserved more. Um, but overall, very proud of my team. They didn't let us down at all. And, and we were just unlucky. Yeah, we were. Uh, I must admit, I'll hold my hands up. I was the one who said that's a right touch when Danny Ward got substituted and on came Jordan Rhodes. I admit I, it was my fault. Um, but, you know, that that's how it's... I mean, Simon, the narrative going into that second leg was, well, it's Huddersfield to lose. You know, we've blown it in the first leg, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The narrative from the wider world, that is not, not within the club or anything like that. But that first half, if you didn't know who the home side was, you wouldn't have got the correct guess right if you tried to guess who the home side was because it was all at that end. Yeah, indeed. And I mean, I think that was a fair reflection over the two games, wasn't it? That, you know, we we had the better of halves and as Tony alluded to, you know, it was the chances. And and unfortunately, that was the end of the season. You know, from the last um, nine games, the seven in the league and the two playoffs, we only scored six goals. Um, you know, and that, I think it was, it was just that step too far with all the injuries and the games that had been played and everything that had been happening that unfortunately putting the ball in the net, you know, was found a harder task towards the end of the season when, you know, another time, another day earlier in the season and we're two or three up in both games. Um, but it wasn't to be, but as Tony said, it doesn't, the end of the season doesn't, um, set the, the tone for the whole season because it was a fantastic achievement you know, to get sixth and to be five points clear of seventh, you know, that's a couple of games. So that's a tremendous achievement from the club to finish sixth. Um, but unfortunately, just just couldn't get over the, the final line at the end. Yeah, them playoffs, whoever invented them things are a bastard, aren't they? Eh? They really are. Um, Reg, there were some heroic performances that night and probably two in particular that really stood out uh, was the performance of Rhys Burke, given that he been in and out of the side with injuries he was excellent but also we shouldn't we should actually pay homage to the goalkeeper uh, Matt Ingram who was obviously done us a great great favour made a few good saves in that second half to be fair to him and actually kept us in the tie in the first half and how he got away with not giving away a penalty in the second leg in the second half of the second leg as well was fantastic but I mean it just wasn't to be no unfortunately not Nine times out of ten, the ball comes across onto Harry's foot and it catches it sweetly and it rips the, goal, <coughs> rips the net off the goal. Now, one occasion, the goalkeeper was just in the right place at the right time and he didn't even know it was going to hit him. It just hit him and bounced out. Reese Burke is just, for me, <coughs> I said on uh, the awards night, for me, he's the most improved player at Luton since he's, since he's been here. It's just immense. And... Uh, with Cal Naismith leaving, I've got no fears whatsoever that Rhys Burke can't step into that position. Yeah, you are preaching very much to the converted with regards to Rhys Burke. With me as regular listeners uh, will know. Um, James, the first leg, we built it up when we did the last podcast at the presentation evening. The atmosphere was absolutely sizzling. It was. It's just a shame that they couldn't take advantage and, and, and get that goal and take it up there. I mean... It, you know, the atmosphere was great. Everybody was really up for it. But in the end of it, it was a null and void game, really. And, you know, because away goals don't count and there was no score. It was winner takes all from the second leg, really, wasn't it? It was a great occasion to be at, obviously. It was noise. How many, how many times in the last few seasons have we said, 
there's been a game where you've never heard noise like it, but, um, but, but that one I think was right up there like for, for levels of excitement and uh, enthusiasm and noise. And it's just a shame that they, they couldn't, they couldn't come away with that win. But um, uh, yeah, I maybe, maybe this year, maybe we can get back there this year and who knows. Yeah, well, hopefully we don't. Hopefully we go better than that. But um, we'll come on to that a little bit later. Tony, um, even if Sonny Bradley was offside, and I don't think he was, I think it was Harry Cornick who was offside for the goal. The noise that followed it, no linesman was putting his flag up. He'd have absolutely, you know, I'll keep my flag down here. I think that it was, it was akin to Reese Burke when he opened scoring against Chelsea. The roof just, it just went. Oh, it was, it was fantastic. Um, it's what uh, Tuesday and Wednesday nights were all about at, at the Kenny. Uh, unbelievable atmosphere, and you know, it, it, we got a goal, and we thought, you know, yeah, this is it, run away. Um, but alas, it wasn't to be. Um, I think the the first game was more of an even game than the second game was, um, and uh, you know, disappointing. But overall, I mean, my view of it, if we, if we were going to go out in the playoffs, um, that was when to do it because I don't think I could have taken a third defeat at Wembley by Nottingham Forest, to be honest. Yeah, there was certainly that, although having watched the final... I've just talked about that game like it was nil-nil, haven't I? Yeah, you realised my mistake. Game, <laughs> you? Yeah, I was wondering what were you what drinking? I, doing? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's been summer, you know, and all of that. You know, you're allowed, you're allowed a mistake. We'll... we'll, 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 we'll We'll let you have that one. The fact that I've had half a drink, ladies and gentlemen. The fact that you've got twelve more months of these podcasts and no mistakes left. You know you're on dodgy, uh, dodgy territory, sort of thing. Um, credit where it's due. The Huddersfield opener was a counter attack of well, there was no defending that. It was just an unbelievable. What was it? Ten seconds from our corner to the bottom corner of our net. Just a wonderful goal. Sometimes you've got to hold your hands up and say, we can't do a lot about that. That's right. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what Huddersfield do, isn't it? They'll soak up the pressure and then they'll get you on the counter-attack. They've got fast pace forwards. You know, they break. It's what they've done all season and how they've won games. And it was effective and it, it worked. Um, just unfortunate that, you know, we, we couldn't stop them on that occasion. Um, but, you know, getting that goal back and giving ourselves a chance. But as we said earlier, we really could have gone on and won that game and we should have won that game as we should have done the away game. But Football can be a cruel game sometimes. You don't always get what you deserve. You definitely do not, no. And in the playoffs, if I ever see them things again, it'll be too soon. I have to be honest. Um, I'll come to you on this one, James, as you was there. The scenes at the end of that second leg were disgraceful. They were not in keeping with the way that the tie were played and no place for them in football. It was just outrageous and horrible. Yeah, and it was the start of many of those across the whole football uh, playoff situation. Yeah, I mean, um, if you'd said to me on that Monday night, that's going to be the kind of lowest key one of the week. I mean, yeah, just I mean, goes it, to show what followed, which was even, like you say, even worse. It got totally overshadowed by the, the fella that went and headbutted Billy Sharp. But let's be honest, it doesn't matter how um, rough the attack was or, or how whether it was caught on camera or not. If you're running onto a pitch A, it's it's illegal and if you're smacking a player that's assault and uh, you deserve everything that's coming to you and uh, you know I, I love a bit of a pitch invasion if it's in a good spirit but these sorts of things ruin it and um, perhaps you won't see the likes of it again and, and that kind of takes away from it the, the main thing is I don't understand why if your team has just won a playoff semi-finals get to Wembley and a shot at Premier League 
why you'd even be bothered, uh, um, you know, haranguing the, the Luton players. You could run past them and go unlucky or something like that and whatever. I don't, you know, you can swear at them or whatever, but there were, there were people on Jordan Clark as he tried to, but fair play to him. He's a little bloke and he made all the way from halfway line to the Luton fans, walking straight into a, a barrage of um, Huddersfield fans running at him. But the whole way, he was abused and harangued and people after him. And rather than them going to celebrate with their own people and their own players and stuff, just it just the mind boggles at the the madness of that. And then, you know, James Breeze slapped on the back of her head. I saw, um, you know, Robert Snodgrass getting pelters as well. And yeah, it's, you know, you've got to be careful as well because people say, well, Luton have done that as well. And it's true in the playoffs, you know, um, York as well. But um, it doesn't mean you can't condemn it when it happens uh, at, at the other end. And uh, in fact, the Luton fans were um, were perfect. They they, were, they stayed in their end. And, um, you know, it must have been hard when, you know, hundreds and hundreds of Huddersfield, Huddersfield fans are coming up to their end just to stand in front of them, swear at them and, and take pictures and, and, and whatnot. But they, they kept uh, a very satisfying level of decorum in the face of that nonsense. But I mean, ultimately um, it, it, it may get forgotten about, but I think they'll clamp down on that sort of thing now. And it just kind of takes a, a moment of joy uh, out of football and rare ones as well. Cause you know, People can go crazy for goals in the stands and stuff, but those sorts of uh, season-defining results, if you can't go on the pitch, and listen, I know it's illegal, it's technically illegal, you shouldn't go on there at all, but if it's done in the right nature, nobody's going to complain, is they? But I, I, it just wasn't for this the, the whole end of last season, and um, yeah, I think that, that could have lasting effects on, on whether you can get on there or not, you know, whether you're a, whether you're a good-natured person or not. Yeah, that's something that we'll reflect on when uh, the authorities actually make a proper statement rather than these sort of cursory statements, the warning statements that they've come out with since then. And you're right, James, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones and all that kind of thing. But this is the... We didn't do a podcast after the York game, but we are doing a podcast now, which is why we're raising it. Simon, the biggest... um, Disappointment for me with the the whole thing... That season, the players deserved to be clapped off by the Luton fans for the effort that they gave, more than any season that I can remember in recent times. And they were just denied that opportunity. It was just, it was just, it just left a sick taste in the mouth. Yeah, it did. And it is very disappointing when things like that happen. But, um, you know, as James alluded to, it's, it's the sort of thing that unfortunately, you know, when we won the league, Luton fans got on the pitch and stopped the players going around that day. So it's a bit, you know, slightly hypocritical when we've, it's been done by our own fans that, um, you know, we, we see it at Huddersfield and, and complain about it. But yeah, the players deserve, you're quite right, the players deserve the appreciation. They deserved um, the applause from the fans. Thankfully, they did get that after the Reading game at Kenilworth Road. You know, they had the freedom to, to walk around the pitch, the family, the kids on the pitch with them. And that was fantastic because that was the that was the pinnacle of the season, wasn't it? It was achieving the playoffs, confirming that. Um, and that was the top, top part of the season. The two games after it were the disappointment. Um, of the results, not the fact that we'd got that far. So to finish sixth and for the players after the Reading game to be able to walk around and get the appreciation. But yeah, you're quite right. The end of the Huddersfield game, you know, they should have been able just to acknowledge the Luton fans uh, and then leave 
down the tunnel in in safety. Um, you know, without that threat of uh, the fans that had, had got onto the pitch. And as James said, you know, James Bree, I saw him go down. I didn't see the impact, but I saw him go down. Um, and credit to the Huddersfield player that was there with him um, that picked him up and made sure he was okay and sort of helped him get across. But yeah, as James said, with players, with fans on the pitch, done in a safe environment at the end of a game, but not when there's still players of both teams on there, um, you know, because as we saw in other games, you know, far worse can happen and, you know, it does bring an ugly side to football, unfortunately. It does. And stewards need to have a, a serious, better understanding of the potential for that to happen. I mean, my sort of concern, I saw Robert Snodgrass heading our way and it is well known that they don't like him because he's ex-Leeds. He was basically free game for anyone who wanted to go. Thankfully, I'm pretty sure he got away relatively unscathed. But you can't have someone who's been taunted for 90 minutes being fair game to anyone who is an idiot in their heads who wants to have a go at him and it's just wrong. And you know, that's something that needs to be addressed and hopefully it will do. Um, Tony, it didn't end the way that we wanted it to, but my God, what a season. Oh, brilliant season. Um, you know, considering it was unexpected really, um, you know, a, a fantastic number of clean sheets as well. Yeah. There was some disappointments in it and, uh, we've got a score to settle with a certain Midlands club as well next season. But um, the highs are far outweigh the lows. Um, and a season, uh, the first season in the Championship where I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it's, it's the best season for me since uh, we won League One. And, uh, you know, we can be well proud of our side. They, they punched well above their weight. Um, the only the only downside on it is the expectation for next season now, isn't it? Yeah, but that's for them to worry about, not us. Uh, we'll be piling on that expectations in these podcasts over the weeks and months to come. But to be fair to the players, they all sat there in fr- in front of me, and Simon was listening in whenever I did all of the podcasts with the players. To a man, they all said, "Our aim is to finish in the top six. I fell off my chair at each and every single one, but lo and behold, they achieved it. James, it was a season that started with fans back in football. And it was fantastic to be back. And what a season we got treated to from start to finish, really, if we take away those last two slightly disappointing games. Yeah, it was exceptional, not not least because uh, nobody expected Luton to do it, um, except anyone inside the Luton camp. And we've got to be honest, I didn't expect them to do it either. But um, Rewound to uh, this time last year, actually. I won't embarrass you. Go on. I've already done that myself, this own <laughs> podcast, mate. I couldn't even remember the result of a game that happened like two months ago. Yeah, keep up, Ken. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I don't know what you're talking about now. Yeah, fans being back. <laughs> yeah. I've forgotten about, well. forgot about all of it, yeah. No, just um, just the level of enthusiasm and the, and the noise and uh, the songs as well. Great songs sung. Unfortunately, some of them probably won't now unless you can transfer new names to Belinda Carlisle songs because of a certain Scotsman who's gone. But um, yeah, I've, I've talked, I've talked, I think, numerous times on this podcast about um, how for me the, uh, you know, the theatrics around football are a massive part of why I love it because you can get a, you can get a terrible game. You can get many terrible games. In fact, you, you sort of gloss over the amount of terrible games you have to sit through and you eulogise over the absolutely wonderful games and, and moments. But there are 
a, a huge fair share of, of terrible games, but they can be alleviated a, a whole lot by uh, what happens in the crowd and the atmosphere and stuff like that. And those things just weren't apparent when we were, uh, you know, I was fortunate to go to some empty stadiums. If you can say fortunate is the right word. Um, they, they just, those things just weren't there, you know, to the, to the point that, you know, you're, you're beating your, your biggest neighbor and your arch rival for the first time in 15, 16 years. And, you know, while it was, uh, while I could hear Simon going crazy in the, in the, um, the radio booth, uh, so to speak of the press box that that was it. There was no, there was no thousands of people joining in with him as well. So it's like, uh, it was, it dampened it a little bit, but, um, got two of those this year, haven't we? Oh, we have, and we will come on to those uh, shortly. Reg, the thing I um, took out of last season, more than anything, actually, the amount of late goals we scored, and there was one late goal in particular that we'll always remember for an awful long time, even though the chap is no longer with us. That afternoon against Bournemouth, well, it was just special. Great, That's just a total one-off. Everyone was settling for a draw. Everyone, People were starting thinking about going home and, the old fellas behind us was packing his flask away and his sandwich box away and all of a sudden there's a massive roar and he looks up and he thinks, what's going on, what's going on? And we've scored and we've won the game 3-2 and there's no coming back from that. It's just those those type of things happen once every 10 years. I can go back probably, Simon will know the date and the time, but Kirk Stevens, 30-yarder at Watford, the very last minute, they kicked the game off. The referee blew the whistle. They don't come round every year. They don't come round every. Well, every the very most famous one of all, Rich, nineteen eighty-eight, which cup final? Yeah, there you go. That was three-two as well. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan Steen, ninetieth minute. They think it's all over. Well, it is now. It was, but it wasn't the only last-minute goal we scored last season, Simon. I remember the ones at Blackburn in particular. They were the kind of the first ones, really. That you know. You, your limbs started aching, having been having been away from football for eighteen months. You know, you realise, cool, it's actually a physical work sort of thing. Danny's winner at Bristol City, uh, sorry, equaliser at Bristol City. Bad as James. I, it's it's just the fact that obviously I'm so determined that we beat Bristol City next season that I've already done. I've already chalked us up for a win last season, and you know. I shouldn't have done because obviously we were playing against the greatest manager ever to walk the face of the planet. But you know, um, that's neither you know that. But there were there were a lot of late goals. Yeah, it shows the team's the determination, the motivation, the spirit, and to keep going. You know, I referred earlier as to how the season, such a long season, the injuries and everything, eventually took its toll. That the last few games, you know, there were less goals and and the like. But you know, overall during the course of the season there wasn't many occasions where you felt at the end of the 90 minutes, they tailed off um, towards the end. And as you said, there was a lot of goals going in, even at two nil down at Blackburn, they kept fighting. Um, they kept going the Bournemouth game, you know, came back, kept going, didn't just want the two, two draw, wanted to win. And I think that showed the desire. And, you know, it also shows what the players mentality is from the coaching staff that, you know, they've got this mentality to go to win games late on and not just settle as other clubs do, you know, would settle for a draw against a top two side at home. You know, you don't want to risk losing, but at the same time, you're happy with the draw. But no, Luton Town aren't like that. We're going for it each time. And sometimes you take a risk and it doesn't pay off. But this season, you know, they kept going, they kept battling, got points that, you know, they deserved late on and, and got some and got some good points from it. Um, you know, particularly, as you said, at Ewood Park and 
the Bournemouth 3-2 is a fantastic game and you know that goal will stay for a long time even if the player didn't. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of the England cricket approach, isn't it? They're going for everything and there will be times where it falls flat on their arse and they pay the price. And if we keep on going in the 90th minute, there'll be times where we concede a 90th minute winner. But you have to take the rough with the smooth. And I'm sure, uh, thankfully, there was a lot more smooth than there was rough. That Bournemouth game aside, James, I'm almost shy of asking this question, given your memory so far in this podcast. But what other uh, moments stood out for you? Um, seeing Harry have a fantastic season uh, and come and good and, and rattling the goals, uh, head, left foot, right foot. Yeah, it, it was quite pleasing. Um, the, the, the number of, number of clean sheets, uh, that, that came about, which always gives you a platform. And the number of keepers that kept them clean sheets. Yeah, remarkable, wasn't it, really? The, the, the keeper curse that happened last season. And you have to say that that's probably not good not going to have helped in the, the end result of, of of how the season went but um just just how i was skeptical as to whether the team could kick on after finishing 10th uh, yeah 10th the season before before uh and they they smashed all my expectations i love that really i think a lot of people um in in our society maybe uh, like kind of think you don't want to be proven wrong and you'll sort of argue to the end of the earth uh, a point uh, even though you have been proven wrong I love it I love being proved wrong because it, it you know if I'm saying well I'll just be happy if they you know, stay above relegation or if they finish mid-table again and they smash those expectations I'm having a great time uh, you know I've got no 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 qualms having a bit of humble pie or eating my hat no none at all whatsoever and it's those things that um really please uh, you over the sort of long haul and particularly when you look back on it in retrospectives like this in hindsight but you know at the time I, I loved going to the games to see uh, two players and that was Adebayo and um, Campbell I just loved what they did to the team and, and how the, on the front foot they they put the team and um it was just exciting to watch and you've got a young striker that's banging in the goals like he was and a, a young player with his first season in English football uh, culminating in recent weeks with his first Scottish cap um, and I spoke to I was actually speaking to Nathan Jones yesterday and he was he was talking about uh, how he um, in the meetings to try and get Alan Campbell to sign for Luton was saying to his dad if you come to Luton and if you trust the process we promise you he'll be a Scottish international happened in a season I mean, it's not exactly setting the bar too high, is it, to become a Scottish international? But, I mean, you know, uh, that's um, sort of neither here nor there. It's still an absolute mystery to me how that bloke was not crowned our player of the season. Uh, we mentioned it on the last yeah. podcast, uh, last but one podcast. It's the goal. I, I, I'm convinced of it. It's the goal. He can only be the goal, can't it? The I mean, goal. Yeah, he can only be that. Um you're, you're absolutely right. Tony, what was your... It's also, it's a good job that you don't mind being proved um, wrong because anyone who listens to our <laughs> podcast will know that it's a regular occurrence. Absolutely. Uh, Tony, apart from that Bournemouth game, which I'm sure was everyone's favourite moment, we won't go into that. What what other reflections will you take away from last season? Um, uh, there were quite a few for me, actually. I, I think winning at Stoke, winning at Millwall... Uh, the one nil, the two one nil wins in South Wales were were great as well. Especially uh, 
Nathan going bananas in with the supporters after the Swansea game. Um, and uh, I've finally seen a Luton side that, that didn't look out of place amongst their competitors, you know, that in some games were actually looked as uh, the favourites to win the game rather than perpetual underdogs. I mean, looking at it, there were there were some disappointments. I think in Maine was the... Um, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm trying to moderate my language here, but the, the scabby gets that are known as QPR um, getting a totally unjustified and undeserved win at Kenilworth Road um, was sort of like one of the low points for me. But um, that was soon forgotten. You know, seeing um, Elijah uh, terrorise some defences... Um, and and developed to be the 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 danger man that he is now, and uh, but I think for me, overall, I, it was great to see the development of Alan Campbell, how he first came into the side. It took him a little while to get used to the pace of the game, but now he's got to be one of the first names on the team sheet. That midfield is not the same without him. It doesn't tick. It hasn't got the work rate, and it's fantastic to see. And uh, I'm so looking forward to next season, especially seeing Eddie Bayer up front with uh, Woodrow as well. Yeah, Fulham away will testify as to what our midfield's like without Alan Campbell, which is probably harsh on the three that were in there. They were up against 30, 40, 50, 60 million pounds worth of talent. Reg, um, Bournemouth aside, what, would, what, what reflections are you taking away from last season that you're looking forward to most for this coming season? I think it was um, the way all the players has improved from the season before. There wasn't the mistakes being made, the silly mistakes being made in defence and in midfield. Um, certain players that were used to giving the ball away cheaply and easily weren't doing it. So it worked on that. The players that had come in settled in really quick, made the team tick. You know, we bought Alan Campbell, didn't play him for three or four weeks. Then he come on, he started coming on as a bit player. He bled him into the team. And then, possibly because he didn't have much choice with with injuries, he puts him in, and he's in every week ever since. And, and the rest of it, as we know, is history. He scores some cracking goals, thirty yarder in one game. Um, <clears throat> Nathan Smith as well um, swapped around in positions. I think it's Nathan Jones and Mick Harford's ability to sit together and see what's going on on the pitch, and then they can bring someone on move someone around and, and change it, even if it's taking a player out of a position. And they, they seem to be able to find the best out of the players that they've got and use them to their best ability. And even Naismith has said in the past that he thanks Nathan Jones for giving him a football position because he's played all over the place. But then the last 10, 12, 14 games, he was in one position and he knew exactly what he was doing, where he was expected to be, where he was expected to pass. He hadn't had that at other clubs. So there's something special between Nathan Jones and Mick Harford that gives him that ability to move a player around and bring somebody else on and totally change the way that team can play. That's very true. He's still not the best manager in the league, though, is he, um, Nathan Jones? Um, but I'm sure he'll have his goals of getting to those lofty statuses in the season to come. Simon, give us a statistical outlook on the season and your sort of reflections from it. 
I think the big one for me was consistency. Um, you know, after the little blip at the beginning of the season, so we'd won two out of the first three, but then we went sort of six games or so without a victory. And I think, you know, the Coventry win was a huge win, 5-0. You know. In every which way. Yeah, it, was, it was massive because it, it ended that run, but also it showed that we could beat the teams that at the time were up the top and were really putting the pressure on. Um, from that moment on, we didn't concede um, two or more in two consecutive games. From December onwards, we were only losing one in five. So you've got that real consistency. And that was where the charge back up the table came after that, you know, run after game three where we didn't pick up the wins. But the the December onwards and after the 5-0 against Coventry, particularly with the goals conceded going down, it it was just the consistency of knowing that if there was a defeat, it wasn't going to be a defeat the next game. That only happened once all season. Did we lose two in a row? Um, So it's things like that that... The, the old ethos at the club has changed again um, since Nathan returned. And, you know, he's had the year or two years now coming into it um, and has really put his mark back on the club and back on the players. Um, and it is almost a squad, I think, bar James Bree, of players that Nathan brought into the club. Um, although he was signed um, on loan, wasn't he? Originally, Nathan did sign him permanently. But, you know, and that, I think, that speaks volumes as well now that, um, you know, we've got that squad that obviously support the manager and the coaching staff. And, you know, we're, we're reaping the benefits of, of that team spirit and squad spirit now right across the board. Yeah, we, we very much are. Yeah. The thing I'm looking forward to from last season to this coming season is the players that have changed position, changed position, but they're showing potential in those positions. Um, we had Gabe Osho on the podcast last season and he mentioned going from centre-back to defensive midfield. We had Jordan Clark who said, there's absolutely no way in the world of, well, can I ever be a central midfielder? who's absolutely thriving in central midfield. Looking between the lines of what Nathan's been saying since the end of last season, we're going to see a positional shift for Amari Bell in the seasons to come. That'll be interesting to see how that goes. We've had James Bree moving into centre-half when we had no centre-halves left. And hell, We've even got a bloody goalkeeper to um, play next season as well. It's, um, there's lots to look forward to and um, we'll definitely cover it all on the podcast as ever. Um, let's talk about some transfers then. James, one person's left the club who we need to pay an awful, 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 awful lot of homage to. And that is Super Danny Hilton. I mean, what a signing, but not just what a signing, what a bloke, what a player, what a goal scorer. And he kind of thrives and kind of highlights everything that's happened in the six years that he's been here, whether he's been on the pitch, whether he's been off the pitch. Um, it's just symptomatic of everything we've done. Yeah, he um, he's a player that, on the playing front, galvanised the team as much as Nathan Jones did, you know, off it. Um, the, the two of them are so intertwined in in the success of getting Luton to where they are now. Um, and the level to which Danny Hilton is loved by the fans, um, will, I don't think that will diminish. They'll see him uh, in pre-season against Northampton, where which is where he's gone. Um, and he'll probably get the similar sort of reaction to James Justin as when he came back for Leicester. Um uh, it, it really is a testament to the, the, you know, not only the amount of goals he scored, and I think Simon will probably be able to correct me, but it's like twenty-seven goals, was it? First year, something like that. He's he's looking with a quizzical yeah. look on his. Rules, he's yeah. looking with a quizzical look on his face. So it was obviously nowhere near that many, but I, mean, <laughs> I think it was as high as twenty-seven in the first. 
he, whatever it was, he smashed apart the second, the League Two um, and League League One, really. Um, and it was only really, you know, an injury that curtailed him. One injury that turned into about three or four, didn't it? And numerous surgeries that really curtailed him, and, and meant that he, he couldn't grow with the team when they got up to the championship. Um, and obviously James Collins came in and took over the goal scoring mantle, but you've only got to look at the two reactions to the two players that have gone. Both have been um, sent on their way with good wishes, um, both in the twilight of their career when they've did, they've done it. Um, and Collins obviously went with a view to getting a last big paycheck and nobody could be begrudge him that. Um, Hilton stayed obviously last season. He could have gone. Um, and maybe it maybe even the season before um, certainly under Graham Jones, he was well out the door because he wasn't favored, but he stayed and he's contributed. He's got his couple of goals in the championship, which he always wanted. Um, but it's just the, you know, for the amount of goals that he scored, he'll be remembered for the shit house. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what sets him apart from so many players. Because some some of them have got great personalities, you know. Tom Lockyer is a fantastic bloke in great interview and stuff. And there are many in this um, hat side, but people don't often see that. They don't always see that. Don't always engage with that. But they will engage with what a player does during the match. And to a certain extent, I think people and fans felt like Danny Hilton was like one of them. That that's what they do in a game because they'd let they they'd let the emotion get to them. They'd let the occasions get to them and affect them. Uh, and whether that was good or bad, whether it was the knee slide, which was good or getting sent off, which was bad, they can relate to that. And there's so few of that in, in modern day football that I think when you find players like that, uh, people latch onto them um, uh, with affection. But when you combine that with the longevity as well and, and how much he obviously loves Luton and he's stayed um, then it, it kind of makes him a modern day legend, really, doesn't it? Incredibly, you are right. It was twenty seven goals in Gets that in there in that first season. Come on, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm You're, in shock. I, yeah, <laughs> I think, and that just goes to show, doesn't it, that he, you you do forget just how good he was in that first two years, and he scored fifty goals in the first two years. You know, so and I think because you look at the sixty two that he scored in total. You, your mind automatically thinks they're more spread out, but then you remember, well, he didn't score in one season and then, you know, obviously got the four this season um, and eight in the other. But it, it's just the fact that there were so many goals in those first two years that unfortunately because of injury, you know, the last few years he hasn't been able to perform up to the level that he was then or got the, the chances to play and score. But this season from six starts, four goals, you know, 22 appearances in total, it's a cracking return for a player that, you know, has given us great, great service. Well, he, he, across those six years, he epitomised the rise of Luton Town, didn't yeah. he? I think it, very, very sad to see him go. Mm. But being dispassionate about it, his time was up. I think it was just a, a stretch too far for him. Grateful to everything he's done for us. Really enjoyable times. And I think Northampton have got themselves uh, a, a decent player there. And I think he will turn this, their fortunes around. And I can see them doing something this season in League Two. 
and I wish him all the best. Certainly looking forward to going to Sixfields for yeah. friendly. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And I think that, you know, we wish Danny well and we also yeah. hope that, you know, his injury now is over that problem because that was a long time out for him, unfortunately. Um, you know, so, you know, we wish him well and uh, it, it's a, a good move for him at the time in his career. But, you know, certainly let's not forget what he's what he achieved at Luton Town. Fantastic servant. Certainly from this hatter, he's always welcome at Kenilworth Road. And the old saying, once a hatter, always a hatter. The ironic thing being that he lost in two playoff campaigns and he's gone and joined a club that have just lost in a playoff campaign. Yeah. So uh, he must be a glutton for punishment for them things. Um, the, my sort of greatest sort of relief really with regards to Hilton is that he got those championship goals because social media told me for two years he weren't a championship player. And we all know social media is absolutely spot on. Never been <laughs> never been wrong, unlike James. You know, never ever been wrong. Hey, 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 27 goals he scored yeah, in his first exactly. season. Let's <laughs> year, Actually, when you think We're editing it, that bit out, it's all right. Those championship goals probably put another grand on his weekly wage at Northampton. Yeah, they might have done, but they also got us into the playoffs because one was a winning goal against Derby, one was an equalising goal at Bristol City, Another one was a goal that put us ahead at Peterborough. That okay, they equalised in the last minute, and, and the goal so I, with Stoke as well. I, I, yeah, I think I was in my mind where the bloody else the fourth one. Um, yeah, the, the goal at Stoke, which okay, I know Cameron Jerome scored a second one, but it was the first goal of that game. So they were all important goals. They weren't just goals that were consolations that some players score towards the end of their career at a club. So uh, massive part of last season, even though he only made the twenty-two appearances. You just know in the background he'd have been a hugely influential thing and it's we'll replace the striker. There's no doubt we'll replace the striker. It's just whether we can replace the character as well and that's for the recruitment team to do. Um, another bloke who's left, Cal Naismith, player of the season. We won't go into that. We did it on this podcast two podcasts ago. He wasn't our player of the season, but you guys voted him and that's absolutely fine. Uh, it leaves with the club's best wishes in the end of it, although there was a little bit of a Saki sort of falling out and things at the time good player but I think we can cope without Cal Naismith I think so yeah he's a great player um, I've said it before players come and go we've had great players at Luton before um, no player is bigger than the town and I wouldn't want to stop anybody from going anywhere whether they're thinking they're going to enhance their career or whether they're reaching the final days and they're going for a bigger pay, uh, pay packet. They've all got families, they've all got mortgage, mortgages, everything else. Yeah, it's a shame. Nobody wanted wanted him to go. Nobody expected him to go. But we carry on. We move on to the next phase. We get somebody else in and away we go again. And Cal Naismith has the best wishes of every Luton Town player. Hope he does well at Bristol City. Um, at, at, apart from when they're playing Luton, you can have two crap games and <laughs> score a couple of own goals if you want. I know uh, some players that used to play for Luton that have come back to Kenilworth Road have scored own goals. So I'm not going to name anybody, but we all know one at least. So, yeah, good luck to him. Club carries on. Move on. You certainly can't begrudge him for going and playing for the best manager that's ever walked the face of the earth either. Um it's just an ironic thing. Those comments, I think, would probably come back to haunt him because I think <laughs> obviously it's been cleared up about he kept um, Nathan in the loop and I think everybody understands that he's 30 and they offered him a contract that Luton just aren't financially able to and so that's fine and everybody can Yeah, understand. no one has any problem no, 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 with that. No. Um, but the rest the, of the nonsense the in comments, that interview. The comments that he came out with about the manager and how he thinks that Bristol City are going to be challenging. I mean... 
you know, stranger things can happen and the championship's a mad, mad division, but they're going to have to make up a hell of a lot of difference to, to be, to be challenging. Yeah, exactly. And um, I haven't seen that even in, even when in that dark, dark day down at the, um, their ground in the first season back in the championship. You always remember the crap days, didn't you? Why do you never remember the good things? I'm I'm not a miserable bastard. (laughs) I don't I, hear I, any descent. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think that they were any great shakes that they would do anything in that division then. And they've gone backwards since. So, um, you know, good luck to him, and maybe he'll help change their fortunes. But there's a lot of ground to make up on a team like Luton, who have looked like they've strengthened. Um, they've added. They've clearly added more goals, um, and the defence was strong anyway. Whoever played, so you know, I I I don't see where he's getting those comments. <laughs> No, and I hope he's been paid up front because if the rumours of their debtage is to be believed, he ain't going to get paid uh, for an awful lot longer. So um, that's them too. Peter Chioso, uh, the writing has been on the wall for him leaving the football club probably since Nathan returned in all honesty. He's been out on loan. He's been he, kind of the statement when he went to Milton Keynes wasn't a favourable one was it when he went out on loan there you kind of no. expected the day to come and to be fair to his agent he's found him a three year deal in the championship or two years in the championship one in league one given that he's gone to Rotherham who tend to um, be the Fulham of the lower uh, lower leagues um, but did, did us no harm when he was here and goes with our best wishes not a surprise that he's he's gone Kev but uh surprise about the club that he went to as in he's not gone up the road yeah yeah um it's only a personal feeling but uh, i think there's probably more to that transfer than meets the eye as in we won't deal with those up the road maybe a little bit of that maybe the player himself i don't know um he did look promising at luton um but again it's it's one of those things he he never really established himself in the team and the when we were at full strength, we looked just as strong, if not stronger, without him in the side. He looked like he had promise, but he's one of those players that yeah, there's, there's others out there that we can replace him with. Yeah, when you're not a signing of a particular manager, you're always... Um, the chopping block's never far away, is it? Uh, social media that's never wrong. Tell me he's the best right-back that's ever lived. Obviously, that's not true, but... the. The simple so the simple problem that he had was he isn't the best right back at the club. He's behind James Bree and he's way down the list in the centre half, which is the other position he could play, and therefore he's a commodity that we could sell. Yeah, and you're quite right there, Kev, but I think also to be fair to Peter, he is a quality player. Um and he's unfortunate that the players that Luton have got at the club at the moment within the squad are that much better are better than him. That means he can't get that look in. You know, he is a to me, he is a good player. He is more than capable of playing in the championship. Um, he's more than could have well have been a regular player for Luton Town if we hadn't got the likes of James Bree, Tom Lockyer, Reese Burke, Bradley Naismith in the squad last season. Um, you know, when he got his opportunity, he never let us down. Always worked hard. Um, very good in the air, wanting to win battles. Um, you know, attacking when he was playing the right back wing back role was attacked down downfield I think from what we've seen of his footage of games for other clubs you know he scored goals he's he's looked a threat um but as we've said he's just in that unfortunate position that where he plays there are better players at the club but that's not to say he's not good enough 
Um, but yeah, so as you said, potentially he's a young player. He wants to be playing games. You can appreciate and understand that in the same way that you, you do the same for players like Cal that have moved on because of the age they are needing that pay packet for the last few years. For somebody like Peter, he wants to be playing and, you know, he's now potentially got the opportunity at Rotherham. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, he's, as you say, social media, I think gave him a, a level and a, a platform that was higher than he is, but that's not to say he's not a good player. No, you're absolutely right. He'll certainly um, excel at Rotherham. James, two other players. Uh, well, one's confirmed to be left, but I think no one around this table is expecting another one to return. Elliot Lee and Robert Snodgrass. Let's assume Snodgrass has left because you, we are we are in a situation that we were in with Pelly last season, so we do need to trade a little bit carefully. Um he, he did perfectly at the end of the season. And if he has left, then we thank him for the efforts towards the end of the season. He was really good to watch. Ultimately, is at the end of his career, he's probably not a Nathan signing, not to say that he wouldn't want to sign him, but he tends to go down the younger element of the um, of the available players rather than the experienced ones. But did us a good turn. And Elliot Lee, another one who came through um, the divisions with us, but his time had come. Yeah, and also he's like Kyoto, he just wants to play as well, and he, he wasn't getting a look. And I think uh, it's a strange one with Elliot Lee, because I think he'd done himself a disservice, because he sort of cast him himself as a more of a number 10 when I always thought he was the best finisher at the club at the time. He was an out-and-out poacher striker, and he seemed to want to play in a more deeper role, which I never thought suited him. And I guess when you're looking at it, then you've got Danny Hilton, you've got James Collins, you kind of like might need a string an extra string to my bow sort of thing. Yeah. Particularly as both were signed for decent dough. Perhaps, but at the same time you had uh, Andrew Shinney and Luke Berry, didn't you? So, um, yeah, it was one of those where it it just didn't quite fit in. Um, uh, So, yeah, when you go out and loan for that long, I think the writing's always on the wall, really, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, best wishes. I think he still speaks very highly of the club. I think he'd done a podcast recently when he talked of culture at the club. Yep. Um, and, and his yeah. old man hasn't criticised his transfer, so he must be um, yeah. must be happy with this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and Snodgrass... Someone's I, put me in a mischievous mood tonight. <laughs> Snodgrass I only expected to be toward, till the end of the season. Anyway. Unless we went up. Yeah, yeah, potentially. I mean, that was that was the deal. You know, sign a, sign a couple of players that have that experience of getting up and, and, and playing in the Premier League. He did a brilliant turn when he was in... In the side, um, you know that that ball he uh, played for Har- uh, Harry Cornick's goal at Cardiff. Uh, in Cardiff, yeah, um, was sublime. Um, and he he, by all accounts, was one of these characters uh, behind the scenes that helped galvanise things as well. And he was a great character. Spoke to him a couple of times. Um, even asked him. Can't understand a word he says, but that's <laughs> part of the Scottish yeah, lingo. I was fine. I could understand him fine. I'm, uh, you'd, I'm you'd been you were three sheets to the wind by that I'm point, very, though, to I'm, be fair. I'm a very cultural man. <laughs> <laughs> I even asked him about, you know, will he stay on at the end of the season? And obviously the, the answer was, well, we're here, let's wait and see. We're, we're here to, um, you know, take every game. At, all that sort of stuff that they always come out with. Um, yeah, we should say he hasn't actually left, but he's got the same agent as Cal Naismith. So I think most people are on the assumption that he has left. Yeah, I mean, I... You know, there's been talks apparently and negotiations and that was the same to be said with Cal, but the simple matter is Luton can't afford to be paying over the odds for 30-year-olds and I don't think they will. 
And also, we can't really be waiting too much longer for the decision because four weeks on Saturday, we're cracking on, you know, and he's going to have to go through a pre-season, isn't he, to be fit. So he's going to, for each day that he's missing out now, now that the players are fully in pre-season, they go to Slovenia on Saturday, you know, each day he misses, we saw it with Admiral Musque last season, you know, if you miss a pre-season, it, catching up ain't an option. No, uh, that, and, you know, his age counts against him as well there. You know, Musque's a young lad, so... Um, although you could say he's an experienced campaigner, so um, yeah, I mean that's not got, to say that he's not doing some sort of training whilst he's, but it's just not yeah. our training, is it? Yeah, I, I mean Nathan has talked about two midfield players among the five he wants to bring in, and one of them being a left-sided player, which kind of there told which, you the writings on the wall with regards yeah, to that. Yeah, which would suggest that we still don't know the sort of financials that got Snodgrass to the club in the first place because he would have been a lot of money when he was uh, playing in, in the Premier League and even to some extent some of the championship clubs he was at um, but he'd been out of, out of the game for two or three months at the point so it was like well come in and do us a favour and, and stuff like that and, and he did he's held up his end of the bargain and I didn't expect anything more from him so uh, if if that's the end of him it was great to see him play yeah absolutely we probably told him he'd touch the football at Luton as opposed to West Brom where it flew over his head every every other pass Um Transfers in, Tony. Uh, which one should we start with? Let's do them in chronolo- chron- chronological order. Alfie Doty has been someone that Nathan Jones has been chasing for an awful long time. I recall he was on the list of the rumour mill when he disappeared from Charlton to Stoke. Um, he's finally got his man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 12 months later. Um, good player, good left, left-footed left player. Um, a good engine on him. Um, I think it's a, an upgrade on the team. Youngster as well, he's 22. And uh, certainly a, a lot of room for development there. So it, it, it's good to see the club following on with the recruitment policy of when players leave, they're bringing in quality. So, um, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to seeing him in the side because it, 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 it's basically increased the creativity as well. Left wing back, uh, not necessarily an area that you'd have thought was hugely there to be um, targeted with Amari Bell being so uh, efficient last season. But I suppose it does give competition there, albeit, as we alluded to earlier, Nathan's comments suggest that Amari's going to be utilised elsewhere. But a 22-year-old, lots of championship experience, played against us for Charlton, played against us for Cardiff just last season, went off injured. But who didn't go off injured in that game? Um Perfect. He looks a perfectly good signing. Yeah, and as we said, somebody that's been on the radar for a while, somebody that Nathan's wanted to bring in. Um, obviously, it didn't really work out for him at Stoke. Um, Alfie, that is, not Nathan. Um, well, he didn't so, work out for him either, to be fair. But um, so, but you know, he, he, he's obviously played at Charlton. That was where he's you know really impressed and his, his loan spell at Cardiff. And I think touching on what you said about Amari Bell, I think you needed some support in that position for the attacking wing-back role. And if Amari is going to be more utilised in the centre, then, you know, you've got the option there. Dan Potts is obviously still at the squad as well, in the squad as well. So that's real good competition for places. And all three of them are very slightly different in what they give you. Um, so I think, you know, that it's an ideal signing to bring in. As Tony said, it's improved the squad. That's, that's the first thing that Nathan always talks about, isn't it, with players coming in. They've, it's not just bodies. They've got to improve the squad. Um, otherwise, you know, what, what's the need? What's the necessity? 
Um, so yeah, patience is a virtue again. Another player that has been on the radar for a while that has eventually come to the club. We may not have got him when we first wanted, but we've got him now when we need him. Yeah, it might not. It might not be a bad thing that we've you know that a couple of other clubs have sort of toughened him up, so to speak. Particularly those two, they're pretty direct, aren't they? If you get into them sides, you've got to be uh, got to have something about you. Um, so yeah, perfectly good signing, Reg. Um, I said I'll do it in chronological order. I can't for the life of me remember which way around the last two came, but I'm going to do goalkeeper first and we'll do attacker later because I'm really excited. I'm really excited about Corley Woodrow. So I'm switching it around. It's uh, it's my party and I'll do it how I want to. Matt Macy. We know about Matt Macy. Um, Again, social media telling everyone he's got no arms, no legs. He's absolutely useless. But we will be getting a much better goalkeeper than the one that we got in that League 2 promotion season. And he wasn't as bad as people are making out in that promotion season. It was Stuart Moore who was bad in that. Uh, sorry, playoff season, not promotion season. Uh, it was Stuart Moore who was doing the, who did the damage, not Matt Macy. So um, came through the ranks at Arsenal. Played in Europe uh, for Hibernian last season. Played in the Scottish Cup final last season. That's experiences that will take you a long way. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think when he was with us last time, I think he had six or eight clean sheets. So it wasn't all disaster. Where it all comes from. I'm, Four clean sheets. Oh, well, there you go. I'm taking after James and I can't get nothing right. Hey, um, 27 goals, four, Danny Hilton. Four, four, okay, four he only, what did he play, Si? 14 yeah, games? 13. <laughs> 13 games, four clean sheets. So 33%. Because 13 was in all competitions. Righto. That's a clean sheet every four games. So that's fine. Um, so he's been around. He's uh, been up playing Scottish football. Um, I don't know if that's any more competitive than Championship football. It probably, isn't. Probably but... not. Probably no more competitive than League Two football. But um, when someone's running at you and kicking the ball at you at 50 mile an hour, you've got to save it. It's as simple as that. It doesn't matter what level of football it is. Uh, pub teams can kick the ball at a goalkeeper at 50 mile an hour. So you've got to save it, whatever level you're playing at. And um, I think he's got quite a good shot stopping rate. Um, so, yeah, he's been here before, so he knows the club, he knows he knows his way round. Um, I still think we've got to get one more in, though, haven't we? Have we got to get yeah, another one in to comply with it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that uh, Nathan said in his press conference that there's an imminent one. It may actually be by the time that this uh, podcast goes out I'm, that a second not, goalkeeper's in. I'm not really sure that it'll be the first choice goalkeeper anyway, really. Well, that's for him to battle with whoever the um, next person is. And then, of course, Shazy will come back at some point. Um, he's, a, he's fine enough, isn't he? I mean, if he's as good as the last bloke who came from Bernie, and then he's, he's going to be fine, isn't he? James can't remember who the last bloke from Hibernian was. Collins, yes. Collins. He's got a few goals as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we're, the production line from Hibernian's not too bad. So, And also, the other thing, in keeping with the uh, Alfie Doherty one, clearly he was interested in Matt Macy when he brought him into the club the first time. He's never left the radar and there he is. Yeah, I mean the thing is, it's what the, he does, isn't it? He keeps them on the radar and he brings them in eventually. Absolutely. If if, if you rate a player that highly, um, then then hopefully you'll be able to get him at some point, and that's happened on numerous occasions. But I mean, thinking with the goalkeeper, how many how many did play with last season? Five, six, six, six goalkeepers. They still kept um, nineteen clean sheets. Was it nearly the most amount of clean sheets in the whole division? Yeah, I think they it? battled with Sheffield United, didn't they? Yeah. So um, it's not. A, a one-man band in that front, on that front. The defence do their part as well, and so 
He's a big, he's a big imposing goalkeeper. I, I really don't remember anything, <laughs> but I really don't remember Matt Macy actually being that's, all that. That's the biggest surprise so. of the podcast. <laughs> well, the, the thing was, James, his first appearance for us, he made a mistake. Yeah, yeah. it was a real clangor. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I think people remember that. But if you look at it and you think, how many clangers did Sluger? make mm. in his time with us but all the supports got behind him and he never let us down on the big occasion so I, I think I, I'm hoping it'd be the same for Macy yeah I, I think so and he hadn't played that many games at that point he was a 22 year old wasn't he and now he's 27 that's generally the age goalkeepers start flourishing a little bit he came straight from Arsenal reserves he hadn't played any first team football when he made that first appearance and also yeah, he got yeah. recalled to sit on a bench in a Champions League game yeah. so they must have thought and you know he's half competent you don't just stick any old way for straight yeah. on them and Chasey come, Chasey's come from Arsenal as well so you, you know they've obviously know what they're doing there um, and everybody loves James Shay. so um, yeah I've got no qualms about uh, I, I think it's just a social media thing where people saying they don't rate him but do you honestly watch Scottish football? I don't. I don't. Yeah, no, I don't I either. Don't. Um, do you trust Luton's recruitment? Yeah, he did. Yeah, down their place. Yeah, not not not, not at our place where he uh, is back picking the ball out the net every I don't week. Don't mind watching Celtic beat Rangers. Yeah, no, that nil-nil down at their place. I mean, it, it, that was a brick wall and half that he put up there. Not quite so in the game that we absolutely destroyed in five. Was it? Well, he seems to think it was five. I thought it was four. But if he, you know, he'll know. He'll know certainly no more than me. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's a goalkeeper there. As I say, that playoff season, it was Stuart Moore that was the bigger problem than Matt Macy. And if Arsenal hadn't recalled Matt Macy, who knows what would have happened? But we wouldn't have won two promotions on the trot. So, you know, it, but. If he's the first choice goalkeeper, that's fine. If he's the second choice goalkeeper, what a second choice goalkeeper and what a signing. Speaking of signings, well, there was a big homecoming uh, announced last week and nobody saw this coming, I don't think. You know, it, it, to be fair to the club, we always say it every season, don't they, we? They, they keep they, their transfer business very, very quiet. For a couple of days beforehand, on, the, on the day when, it, when the sort of Barnsley media... Um, sort of announced it and things, but in the lead up to it, it was very, very quiet. Corley Woodrow, fans don't need no introduction to Corley Woodrow, who's been here before. Uh, James he, he, he three times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that is true. Uh, to be fair, I mean, even James can't forget how bloody cold it was on his debut at Welling. That's the coldest I've been at a football match in a long, long time. But, I mean, what he's done since he's left us, gone to Fulham, played in the Premier League, played for England at under-21 level, coached by Nathan. Um, obviously done fantastic for Barnsley in our first season, sorry, second season in the Championship when they made the playoffs. He's basically followed Luton Town, hasn't he? Even though he hasn't been a Luton Town player because we've played against him for God knows how many times. Yeah, but what a player we've signed. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, a couple of seasons ago, he'd been way out of our league. But now... Um, it's fantastic, and I think we've, we've got a great player. There. And the fact is, you know, he's making all the right no right noises. He said he wants to come back to Luton. He's always wanted to come back to Luton, and his interview was was top notch. And I, I think I'm, I'm so looking forward to see them playing. Whether he plays directly up front with Eddie Bayo or he plays in the number ten role, you know, it'd be great to see him in the number ten role with Cornick up front with. Um, Adibaya. So whatever happens, I, I think it, you know it's exciting. It, you know it, it's a lot to look forward to, and uh, <clears throat> I definitely it, it's a, a big boost in quality up front as well. 
It's a statement. Big yeah. time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it, Nathan called it a marquee signing. That's the word. And um, That's the word. You, you can't... You're on fire tonight, yeah. isn't you? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> mate, I'm trying to make up for that earlier mistake, but, you know, at least I owned it. <laughs> but no, um, they, they, they've brought somebody who can come in at their prime, which is uh, the, the difference that uh, they haven't had in the championship. Uh, you know, they were able to do that with Hilton and they were able to do that with Collins. And look how good those two turned out for, in a Luton shirt. And they've done it now in terms of getting Corley Woodrow at 27, who's played in the championship, banged in goals for fun. Uh, you know, he's been at a Premier League club, been at a very good Barnsley side, um, you know, apart from last season. Um, and he knows the club as well. So he, he, he's got some sort of affinity there. But that, I don't know. Well, obviously, we don't know how much money they've, shelled out on him to get him. But however much it is, you can bet it's probably a steal. And to get a player who will come in and presumably just hit the ground running because we've all seen him um, over the years uh, and he's been a coveted player. So what a sign is going to be to see him and Adebayo up top, to see him and Adebayo and Kornick up top, um, they're going to frighten some people, frighten some defenders next season. There was a, an interesting point. I think it was made by Les Miller, wasn't it? Where he said that the fact that he's going to next my line here, yeah. and he signed for us. Do we get a signing on <laughs> for him? I mean, technically, if Fulham yeah. have a sell-on clause, then they're going to be giving us some of that back, aren't they? So effectively, whatever we've paid for them, we're going to recoup. Assuming Fulham have got a sell-on clause. That's a very interesting point, isn't it? And we, we probably would never know for sure because we won't. undisclosed we fee, won't, everything. But, I mean, but, I can't believe Fulham are going to let such a bright prospect leave and not have some sort of recuperation down the line. So, yeah. and, I, and I know how Gary Sweet works, so where he'll definitely be knocking on the door of Fulham if indeed there is um, such a, a thing to be had. I mean, Reg, again, in attack, there wasn't really a problem in attack last season but if we just use this as a like for like Corley Woodrow in Danny Hilton out and I don't really want to do that because it's disrespectful to Danny but it's the natural thing to do we've got ourselves a player who two years ago was the fifth top scorer in the championship well there you go you've got a great player the only fear for me is um, players in number 10 positions uh, defenders tend to kick them out because it's the number 10s that put the ball through for your two goal scorers to score and play, uh, players kick these players out of the game. You see it every week, players getting kicked, going down, rolling around, grabbing their ankle, trainers coming on, spraying them, and they get up. I don't know how many kicks he can take before he's got to have three or four weeks off injured. Well, I mean, you know, we'll just, he's got light legs, he can move around, he can get get away. And also, if defenders are kicking the life out of him, Elijah's like, thank fuck for that. I ain't got, ain't got, no, ain't got no one hacking around at me for once in uh, in my life. So, well, there you go, that's a prime example, isn't it? Um, Adibayo kicked to death in two or three games and, and he had to miss the, the last few games of the season. I suppose the thing is that if that happens then you've got Woodrow in place there. Whereas Simon talked about it earlier in the podcast that it just seemed a bit impotent after um, Adebayo went out and the goals weren't coming as much. So um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a case of like, if, if the right don't get you, the left one's gonna. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'll put Simon on the spot. Is he, he's now our second youngest footballer, isn't he? Who's that? Corley Woodrow. 
second youngest. When he oh, made his debut, de- when he made his debut, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember if he's yeah because the, um, the like the oh, no Jordan, yeah Patrick, Jordan, <laughs> Jordan Patrick, Patrick yeah at Gillingham wasn't yeah. I was at Grimsby. Grimsby I knew it began yeah. with a G yeah. so you know I mean you don't come into a first team at any club at sixteen if you're not a talented boy that's he did, right and he looked good didn't yeah. he when he first and he's got a hundred percent win record. As, as yeah, he, all, all three league. Thank God to Alex Lawless. Thanks God to Alex Lawless scoring the winner in the last minute and yeah. that one down there. Because if that had gone to extra time, I seriously would have froze solid. Yeah, the thing I, I, I like about it, Simon, is the fact that we've got a player who's got a proven track mm. record and also he's a very, very clinical finisher. Mm. I mean, that was probably one of the negatives from this season. How many chances, chances did we yeah. create that we didn't take when we needed a clinical yeah. finisher like that? And I think, you know, last season aside, he had an injury, he didn't get the goals. Barnsley, you know, weren't anywhere near the team they were the year before. So take last season out of the equation. The year before he played 50 games, got 15 goals. He's got 15 goals a season before, 19 before that. 44 goals in, uh, sorry, 49 goals in three seasons. That's a hell of a return at championship level. Um, And talking about the kind of signing that it is, I think somebody pointed out the other day when he scored his first Premier League goal, we were playing non-league football. And eight years on you know, from 2013, 14, you know, we're now level pegging that we are the quality that we are and he has stayed the quality that he is. And, you know, it's a fantastic sign. And as you said, whatever we've paid for him, it's a great bit of business for the club. Um, you know, it, it was a surprise up until, as Tony said, 24, 48 hours before there was a few rumours of it. Um, but, you know, he's, he said the right things coming to back to home, so to speak, but also coming to a new club. Um, and I think, you know, it's a great fit for us. And as you alluded to, Kev, it's difficult to say like for like, but you do do that when a player in Danny Hilton's position leaves and you bring in another forward. You know, it's a forward a forward. We go back to the same point we made earlier. It's strengthened the squad for next season. And that's with no disrespect to Danny whatsoever. Um, but Corley at 27, you know, you know, as long as uh, he gets the games and he gets the game time and there isn't the injury... Um, then, you know, we've got a cracking player on our hands. And, you know, if you're talking double figures for all three of those players again, you know, that's a quite a strike force, isn't it? He's got a, he's got a very good football brain on him yeah. as well. Plus he's got pace as well. Yeah. He's still quite quick at, at 27. Yeah, I'm not too worried about the injuries. I mean, how many injury-prone players have we had that get into our system and suddenly they don't really get that well, injured? Well, it's not as though he's injury-prone, is he? It's just, just last bad injury. He just yeah. had a bad injury that, you know, he needed, I think it was an operation even, wasn't it, on? But before that, as I say, 50 games, 40-odd games the year before. So he's a regular player um, and, you know, he's clearly quality. So it's great to have him on board and to get a good three, two, three years out of him, at least hopefully, if not more. Yeah, Tony said he's got a good football brain. It's that good. He didn't even want to play for Barnsley in that Barnsley team last season. You can't argue with that. Um, You was at the brace yesterday, James, and uh, Nathan said, well, he's doing the rounds four more players, but it's five because he said about a goalkeeper, but I think he said it in a different, in an answer to a different question. So a goalkeeper, a defender, two midfielders and an attacker. They're the, uh, they're the ones that he wants to bring in. The rumour mill has gone mad about the defender, you know, whether that, whether Jack Stacey comes in. I mean, it certainly wouldn't have quietened down after Peter Kioso left. Um, I think Luke Freeman's been mentioned as one of the midfielders, which would make a lot of sense if Robert Snodgrass... Uh, it doesn't stay because, as we've said for the last two transfers, keeps players on his radar and Luke Freeman was quite strongly on it uh, in January. Um, it's just interesting times and the fact that he knows what he wants and he's likely to go out and get it uh, just shows that we're in a good position. 
Yeah, and he also emphasised the point that he wants to get it done real quick as well. So they can but he help. likes to have his squad before he goes to Slovenia, doesn't he? I can't see him yeah. buying five players in the next three days, but stranger things have happened. No, but um, it is a shorter pre-season as well, as we know. But um, yeah, he, he has the... He has, we all know that Luton have the players they want in every position and probably the second and the third players if they don't get them. Because like Freeman, they wanted him, couldn't get them because the wage demands were too high. And so they accept that, they move on to the next person. And perhaps it's just everything's come right again, as as Simon alluded to, Corley Woodrow had to go away and Luton had to come up through the leagues for the two to marry up again. And maybe shorter time frame, but maybe that will be the case with Freeman. Um, he's certainly a player that he wanted and would fit the mould of that left-sided midfield player and championship quality as well. So, um, yeah, and yeah, uh, the, the Stacey rumours are enticing, aren't they? And if he could come back, well, what what a summer it would be! Absolutely, yeah. I see a smirking Simon behind you. Is there a? No, it's just when you said about not signing all the players in this week, I think Nathan's comments were that, God willing, the goalkeeper was imminent. When he's used that kind of phrase before, it's basically been a done deal. And it's just that we're waiting to announce it kind of thing. Did you not look around yesterday? Did you not count the goalkeepers? Yeah, just check. I saw James Shea hobbling about on crutches. And then as soon as... um, Nathan was talking about the injured players. Glenn Ray made an appearance on crutches as well. It's a lovely piece of timing, but you won't get it on the audio. I think going back to the point, I think the other players, I I would have a good guesstimate that they are well down the line with some, but they don't want to tempt fate. As you said, they want to get the players in before the Slovenia trip and they talk about these team building as much as the training when they go away for the week. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a couple come in this week, um, but that's not to say you know that all five will. I think Nathan would be absolutely, you know, be looking out for the lottery numbers if all five of his demands came off in this week. But yeah, I, I would expect that you know now that he's gone public and said we're after five players, I don't think you do that unless you're well down the line with some of them. Yeah, no, because that's a heck of a risk to take if they don't come off and fans are going. Well, you said five. Why have only we got two or three or? But every faith in the recruitment, we know it's it's touch wood. It's not been an issue in the past when things have been said. We've got the players in and more often than not, we've got first or second choice um, from what we've gone for. He also said that players are going to have to go out and often in these deals, the players yeah. have to go first before players yeah. come in. So it may be like you're buying a house and it's a chain so reaction. Joe should have asked him how many presentations to players as you made, because that's usually a good indication. Because he normally presents to them, and they seem to sign straight afterwards. Yeah, didn't they? Didn't he present to Freeman though? And the, you know the wages. I think I think James probably did ask that, but the plane was going over at the time, and they, um, <laughs> no one no one heard uh, heard what was happening at fixtures. Yeah. They came out last Thursday. We all looked at two in particular. We you know we know that in October that we go to a certain place down the road and. Funnily enough, on April Fool's Day, even though it won't be on April Fool's Day, they come to us. What else stood out, though, James? Well, obviously the Birmingham start, because there's some um, amends to be made there, eight of them. Um, you know, well, that'll be good, 8-0. Yeah. That'll, that'll be a start. Yeah, Scored eight on the opening day of the season before, so exactly. why not again? Yeah, and uh, James Collins scored a hat-trick, so over to you, Corley Woodrow. But, uh, um yeah, so that's one to make amends for because they were two of the worst performances and worst results of the season, clearly. 
Um, well, they weren't, were they? We did lose seven in a game, but I understand where you're coming from. Birmingham aren't Fulham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, Mitrovic owns more in a week than the rest of the squad put together, that sort of thing. But uh, And they were quite severely depleted as well, Luton, weren't they? But um, it was one off and nobody lost their minds over that game, did they? So, um, I, it, it's just those two Watford games, isn't it, really? Because uh, the excitement was there two seasons ago, even though we knew that the fans weren't going to be in, in the ground. But this time, uh, considering Luton won the last game, so hold the bragging rights uh, and go to their place and presumably can't play as bad as they did there the previously previous time. Um, it, those are the two occasions. I, I just can't for the life of me think why the EFL thought it would be better to have Huddersfield on New Year's Day and not Watford, um, considering they wanted to have games as close as possible to uh, the rivals and Huddersfield is 100% not one of those but um, it it, it uh, spreads out nicely over the season I think doesn't it and um, those are the two games I, 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 we've played everyone else uh, whether it be in the lower leagues uh, or the, the teams coming down I don't think Burnley actually I don't think I've seen Burnley, but who's excited about Burnley? Who's ever been excited about Burnley? No one. Burnley fans aren't excited no, about Burnley. Burnley, exactly. So um, uh, it, it's got to be Watford, isn't it? There's two games against Watford and I just can't wait for them. It does. Um, Tony, I, I guess the other thing that you always look for is Christmas, isn't it? And Boxing Day, we're at home to Norwich and then some idiot's gone and scheduled us at QPR on a Thursday night. Yeah, I was going to say that. And then it, uh, Huddersfield away. It's not It's not the most glamorous Christmas ever known to man, is it? I'm more concerned about the QPR away game because it looks like they haven't learned the lessons from last season. Yeah, it, to be fair, if the fixtures only come out last week. It may be that the two clubs club together and have a word and get that shifted and honour what they said uh, last season. We don't know that for sure yet. You know, it, it, it could happen, it might not, who knows, but... You're right. The fact that it's there at the minute is is, is a cause for concern. Mm. A great deal of concern. I'm obviously looking forward to um, them home and away. And one big bonus is that Wickham didn't come up either. Well, you say that, but rem- I was going to say, I'll remind, you of, I'll remind you of that when you get to Leeds and you're still two hours away from Sunderland. <laughs> Well, yeah, usually if it's an away trip to Sunderland, though, it's a, a good night out in Newcastle, isn't it? It is. It's probably yeah, a better so. night out than Wickham because you're still in the car park um, after the game. But, you you know, you're... You know, I, I think it's going to be a, a, an intriguing season more than anything. I mean, uh, I, I don't... I, as long as we finish in the top ten, I'll be happy. I know the players will want to go uh, one better. But uh, again, I'm looking at it. I don't think anything to fear there at all. Um, I just hope we get off to a good start against Birmingham because we definitely owe them one. We do. We owe them plenty. Um, M4's going to see a lot of us, isn't it? And over the first month of the season, oh, ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, you just look at those fixtures and you Bristol City followed by Swansea, you know, Bristol midweek, Swansea the Saturday after, and then. Cardiff 10 days later and you know it's to and froing up and down that M4 but as I said you know before we broadcast at least we're getting them out of the way in August you know we're doing all the journeys in hopefully decent weather and you know light to get there at least rather than November through to February March where you're driving in the dark 
all the time, but you know, it's it is a lot to ask for supporters early in the season, A, so many games, and B, to have four long away trips, you know, with Burnley in there as well. And there could have been a cup trip in there. And there could have been, you know, depending on, well, there could be still still one more, depending on the Newport result. But yeah, we could have had another big, long away trip, you know, Exeter, Plymouth, the likes um, in there. So that is harsh, but I'm also thinking the algorithms and the computers that they put together don't even look at, the away trips, you know, together. The one thing that does get me, and I think Nathan will mention this at some point during a press conference because he likes talking about the midweek trips. We've got 10 midweek evening games, six are away and four are at home. Now you tell me how any computer fixture list doesn't equalize that out to five and five. You know, that to me is already a slight unfair advantage that, you know, okay, it's, it's two games, but it should be fair for everybody. Um, you know, we know last season, Tuesday, Wednesday nights, we were unbeaten in the league. You know, Chelsea were the only team to beat us on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. So the advantage there playing the home games under the lights at Kenilworth Road. Um, And it's also interesting that normally you play the same team midweek, but that's not always the case this year. Randomly, we've got Reading, who one of the closest teams to us. Usually it's the long away trips that you get midweek because they know not as many fans are going to be travelling and therefore not as many are put out by it. But, you know, to play Reading... Um, midweek seems a bit strange, you know, expectations pressed in a way, unbelievably Stokes, not midweek. I mean, I can't, you know, immediately think of a Saturday game at Stoke. It always seems to be midweek there, but you know, it's, it's one of those things, the fixture computer and the algorithms do what they have to do. And there's loads of things that connotations they have to take into effect, but yeah, not to have equal number of midweek games seems a bit odd, but you know, plenty to look forward to from the season, you know, new trip, you know, for some up to Burnley, been a long time since we've been there. Of course, Rotherham's new ground hasn't had fans in when we played there the last time. So um, make the most of that this year, because as you said earlier, they're the yo-yo club of League One of the Championship. But, you know, it's uh, a lot to look forward to. And of course, uh, it all starts with pre-season on Friday. Yeah, only new ground for me, that Rotherham game. Uh, I see they've bumped the goalkeeper off to America, so you're all right. You won't have target practice um, <laughs> on that occasion. Uh, another thing to pick up from the fixtures, Reg, is... No games from November the 12th to December the 10th. Uh, obviously, we're all going to be in the pubs watching England um, win the World Cup. But it's, but it's going to be weird, isn't it? Four weeks in the heart of the football season um, without without games. I mean, obviously, like Simon said, we had it last year involuntarily because of COVID. Um, but this time we know all about it and it's just going to be weird. Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> the powers that be or, or managers of various clubs over the years have been asking for a winter break. Um, years back, you used to be playing in the winter on three inches of mud and supporters at Kenilworth Road were getting splattered with mud coming up with back of players' boots and stuff like that. So now you've got it. Uh, you've got to put up with it. Can't do nothing about it. My only fear is um, losing momentum. If you get on a running streak and you win six, eight, ten games before the international break. What have you got to do? What are you going to do to keep your players match fit, keep your players tip-top condition, ready for when you start again? It'll be like starting the season again after a four- or five-week break. Uh, Is it sensible? I don't know. Do do we need to have every single club having a a four-week break? Because not every single club's got international players. 
No, they haven't, but I don't think you can possibly schedule fixtures for some and not for others. But what will be interesting is if we um, if we either shift that QPR game into that section, depending on how many internationals they've got, or if we arrange a friendly for the week before the Middlesbrough away game, which is what brings us out of um, out of it against, I think it's the FA Cup week, the first week of that month, uh, um, second round. 6th of November is the second round. So I wonder if then that week we schedule a friendly against someone who's lost in the first round who hasn't got a game just to give the players, you know, I know it's, I know it's still 14 days, but it's better than 28 days, isn't it? Maybe maybe there'll be a friendly there. When you look at normal season and international games are being played, um, like Collins has gone and played for Wales. Ireland. Ireland, sorry. Um I mean, it's, there is a Collins that plays for Wales, but it's not that one. Yeah, right. Okay. I'm just learning off of James, don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've lost one player. We've had to carry on. And other teams have lost more than one player, but they've had to carry on. So how many championship players are we going to be playing in this World Cup? Well, thankfully, Scotland didn't make it, so not as many as what there might have been. But, I mean, we're still going to have Tom, potentially have Tom Lockyer, if he has a good start to the season, we'll have Tom Lockyer away. I don't know if there's other internationals going on around the World Cup, but if there are, then Pelly may be away, Admiral Musquay may be away. So, you know, there are still, but it's the other clubs in it, the ones that come down, you know, the Burnleys, the Norwiches, they're going to be decimated, aren't they? they? Need to, if you look at rugby, when they've got internationals, when they've got the World Cup, they don't mm. halt their domestic fixtures. No, but they don't the roll around just, on the floor when they get yeah, tapped around true, the ankles yeah, either. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I, the answer to that would be the, the use of your squad. Mm. I think the other thing Crazy. is it, we could have the reverse scenario to what Reg mentioned about if you're on good momentum. Last season, we had a four game without a win, then the draw, then the Bournemouth win. Then we had that break and that's when we then, you know, that that break then helped us and we came out of it really strong didn't we so it can work both ways I think it will be very un it'll be strange to have it that we've got the World Cup to look at and not got Luton to watch because we're so used to the World Cups being in June when that's the only thing that gets us through the summer between seasons um, but yeah I think you're right Kev I think we need to look at and the club probably will be looking at some form of competitive game in that spell because it's very difficult to then get up and running again um, but it can work both ways, the break. You know, it could be if you've got a couple of injuries. But yeah, quite why every championship team, you know, is because of the number of players. Yeah, some teams are going to be affected more than others. Whether some will look at agreeing to a fixture. I don't know if that's in the, they're allowed to or not. I'm not sure what the yeah. the ruling is on that. But, you know, there is the potential there that clubs may say, look, we've not affected by it. Let's play the week before or the third or whatever or the 26th and just get a game in to keep us ticking along. And I mean, also, you still get games postponed in League One, don't you, mm. for internationals? Yeah. So if there's it's a three, League One it's side... Players, isn't it? Yeah, it's, so it's, if there's a League One side that's got three at the World Cup, say yeah. Ipswich or something, they're, Random, they're, yeah. they're, they're going to have the same four-week period, so maybe there's a fixture that we can go yeah. with. You know, It'll be interesting to see what happens with regards to that anyway. And let's finish this podcast off then with pre-season. It starts on Friday in terms of fixtures. It obviously started last Friday in terms of players coming back. Um, shortened pre-season, as I said right at the start of this podcast. Hitching away, Northampton away, uh, Peterborough away, West Ham at home, job done. They're not fantastic fixtures, but I mean, I don't think they need to be, but they'll be good competitive runouts for the players to get up to speed ahead of that um, Birmingham game. Yeah. And you haven't had the the length of break as well, which um, 
I, I, I don't think pre-seasons are the, the slog that they used to be. Uh, they all look really fit and healthy coming back. They, they, they've, um, so what you're saying is yesterday when you was down there, they had their feet up and, you, and then they were doing nothing. Is that what you're telling us? <laughs> yeah, is that what you're telling us? Whilst, whilst, whilst they were doing laps of the you're brace. You're on the wrong tonight, James, aren't you? <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, I don't. see if we can get you on a train. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I wouldn't say I would last the five seconds, but uh, I'm not a professional footballer. I think, yeah, I think the main thing that would be affected is the momentum and that's it really. I think the fitness is at such a level that it has to be not only to compete in the championship, but to compete in the way that Luton want to play football. It has to be at a very high level. So they've, I think they've purposely signed athletes in amongst the, the criteria that they look for players as well as like um, the character and stuff. I think they, they've signed in very good athletes. Um, so it's just about getting that, uh, that gel right with the new players and they've signed players that are, are used to Luton as well uh, so that helps um, I, I think these trips to Slovenia are, are where so much of the work is done and then the coaching staff will learn things from the um, uh, pre-season fixtures for us lot it's mainly just to go and have a decent night out and a drink and watch a bit of, they're not exciting games that they usually change halfway through uh, and try some things out and that's what they're there for but what happened last season is just about kind of just trying to rekindle a little bit of that magic and then um, you'll bounce into the new season no problem yeah I think the Slovenia one's the thing isn't it they always go strong on that week away and actually our character and our team spirit is what our success is built on so that week is hugely important is there a game out there this year yeah. there is yeah so there's going to be, be yeah, so there's going to be a fifth game in uh, it's kind of good that um they've lined up a west ham friendly so we know the luton team in 10 years time isn't it i mean um, <laughs> you know fair play fair play for them to for agreeing to that but anything that stands out in pre-season you're looking forward to um i always enjoy the hitching game actually you know, i always find it's a good night and uh you know, it's it's a good chance to see people that you haven't seen for quite a few weeks, and uh, you, you know you can find you can mix with members of Twenty Twenty and the players. You can have a laugh and a joke with them, and, and plus it's it's a good payout for hitching as well. So you're helping a local side as well. Um, the, all the friendlies are, are are fairly local anyway. I mean, Northampton's just up the road. It'll be good to go to that just to uh, say goodbye to Danny. Um, Peterborough is an odd one, but uh, I think that'll be probably a bit competitive, you know, because it's a, a localish game. But I'm quite looking forward to the West Ham game. You know, always a Premier League side; it's always a good workout for us. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to it. It's uh, as we said, it's been a shortened break. I hate the close season. <laughs> I really hate the close season because I miss me football. You ain't mentioned that before. It's, it's, a, it's a new one on us, though. Is it? Yeah. yeah. No, well, thankfully the close season hasn't been particularly. That's why I'm not looking forward to the mid-season break. No. You know, even with World Cup football, it, it's it's not the same. The World Cup should have been being played now. It should, yeah. We. You know? Um. So, I think it's, it, it'll give us something. It'll help the players gel. But as you've said, the the trip away is the most important thing for the players to gel. I wonder if they'll be yeah, doing the rounds on the bikes again this time as well. Um, but I think it, it just helps for the uh, start of the season to come along. But 
the important game is the home match against Birmingham, isn't it? Absolutely. Anything stand out? Yeah, I mean, just looking at pre-season, talking about fitness and hitting the ground running, I mean, I just had a quick tot-up. In the first seven or so weeks of the season, we play a quarter of the season. It's basically, it's 11 matches in that first. So, you know, the fitness and the importance of getting a good start and progressing. Because then later in the season, when we go into that international break, the game before, so in November we play Rotherham, to go 11 games then takes us three months. You know, so that just shows how compact the beginning of the season is and how important pre-season, the fitness, getting the team together and getting ready to go on the opening day is, particularly this season, more than most. Because, you know, there's 33 points up for grabs within seven weeks. You know, it makes a massive difference. That's putting a lot of strain on, on yeah. players' bodies, isn't it? And I, I think you'll probably find a lot more injuries than normal. Yeah. I think that's uh, a big reason why they've come out and said you can have five subs this season, because probably because of the international break and the fact that they've squeezed a lot of games into the early start of the season. And there's probably going to be a few games squeezed into the end of the season because of games being postponed and things like that. The pre-season friendlies, uh, we've spoke about it at home, um, they, they serve a purpose because it gives the management a chance to see who's actually on form in the early part of the season, who's got their ball control about them, who's got their wits about them, who's prepared to put a full shift in. And it gives them an opportunity to try different uh, formations. We've said like uh, 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 hitching, He'll probably play one team in the first half and then a different team in the second half. That's purely and simply tactical, not to give anybody a run out. That's purely and simply to look at how one team can play together and how another team can play together and how you can juggle one and take one and put one. And and they'll do that through the first three games. And then when they play West Ham, you'll probably be looking at the starting eleven. Mm. Yeah, that's usually what it is, isn't it? The week before, um, it's pretty close to the the starting eleven. Um, that's for sure. Yeah, no, look, they the precincts, the preseason games look good, but I think we're all looking forward to July the thirtieth coming around and um, getting stuck into the uh, into the proper stuff. Chaps, it's been good. Uh, we've gone on for much longer than I anticipated that we would do, but you know, uh, excellent discussions. We will be back for our full season preview podcast where I'll be joined by the town boss Nathan Jones in the week before the season starts not sure of the exact date yet so uh, subscribe like or everything else and get your notifications in so it will pop up when we do it but it'll be the week before the season starts until then everyone continue to summer well James you'll get at least three or four days of your actual summer before the football season starts so enjoy those and um well, everyone out there listening, enjoy pre-season and uh, look forward to the 30th of July. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for everyone who's joined me and come on the matters.